Well, as we turn our, our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, let me just say something about the video of Ed Fleming there, Ed and Brenda, just a few moments ago. Um, I'd like to say something about that young guy that was preaching. Now, here's the thing. In the first hour, I made a joke about it, and I said, you know, I hadn't changed a bit. The, you know, because they, they laughed about it a lot during while they were showing it. But you didn't laugh because you didn't even recognize who that guy was. <laughs> that kind of worries me a little bit. But um, that was me a long time ago. So uh, let's take our, our Bibles this morning, Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to ask the question. Here's the question of the day. Here's the question of the day. What do you do as a Christ follower? What do Christ followers actually do? Now, when the, when the New Testament was written, when Jesus was walking on the earth, Jesus, again, would get up and say, let's go to Bethany, let's go to Jerusalem, let's go here. Well, what were they doing? Well, they were following Jesus, but what were they supposed to do with their life? And the answer is to serve, obviously. Now, you think to yourself, well, you know, I, I just sort of want to come to church. I don't want anything really to do. I've got a lot of things to do in my life. But that may sound kind of convenient for you, but is it the best thing for you? Is it really what a Christ follower really does? Now, I know that when we're talking about serving God, we're often talking about doing something within the church, and I know that. And people would think, well, why do, why do most of the Christians serve inside the church? After all, we've got all these ministry booths this morning to give you an opportunity to maybe serve here in the church. Why do we do that? Why not serve outside the church? Well, we do. And just uh, as a few reminders, uh, we paid off everyone's delinquent hospital bill in the entire city of Oviedo and then, uh, Oviedo and then some just a couple of years ago. This past year, we gave $18,000 to the Boys and Girls Clubs. We're serving in the Boys and Girls Clubs. Uh, we put cameras in uh, both of the high schools here, completely redid their security camera system uh, on that. And uh, with uh, your offerings, but also uh, the uh, golf tournament as well. So we're doing things, and classes are doing things outside the church as well. But what do we need to do inside the church to make that possible? You see, we just can't send people untrained out into the world to do ministry when they don't really know how to live the Christian life themselves. Hence, that's the reason why we need to be equipped right here at the church. No one, for example, would say to a UCF, Professor, look, why don't you get out there and do it yourself? Why do you have to teach and teach and teach? Why don't you get out there and do some engineering yourself? Why don't you do some accounting yourself? Well, because their job is to prepare the students to go out and do that. Now, when I was a student at a Christian college and then later in a seminary, a lot of our seminary professors would go out and do ministry either in their local church, just like you serve, or they would even take a temporary pastorate to fill in for someone, and they would do things out in the community. However, their main job was prepared to prepare people like myself to go out and do the ministry. When we're talking about equipping the saints for the ministry, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're working here within our age groups and training young people and training adults as well to go out there and live the Christian life in such a way that people would want to know the same Jesus that we know and to serve the community as well. Now, as we open up to Exodus chapter 3, we, we need to realize this morning how important that serving of God 
and equipping the saints for the ministry really is. I was reading an article the other day that said that 43% of the millennials uh, either do not believe in God or just don't care. 43%. Now, among the Generation X people, just above them in age, it was 30%. Baby boomers, 21%. And the builders, the older generation, they're probably in their 80s and 90s by now, basically 14% of them felt that way. So more and more and more. And so, yes, we do have opposition in the world. Yes, we do have things that are being taught that are contrary to the Bible. But we have to ask ourselves the question, are we serving? Are we doing what we need to do to equip those people to go out and face the world? Well, in Exodus chapter 3, we pick up the story of Moses. And as we do, many of you know the story about how he was born to a Jewish woman, Jochebed. And back then, Pharaoh was going to kill off all the male children that were Israelites. And so she put him on the Nile, beside the Nile River, knowing that the daughter of Pharaoh would come along. And as she came along, knew her heart, I suppose, and she reached out, took the young baby back to the palace and raised Moses as her own. Well, you can imagine he's raised as a king's kid. He's there in the palace. And so as he was being raised, he was raised, of course, on the Egyptian way of life, their view of the world, their culture. But yet he noticed his brethren, the Israelites, were being so mistreated as slaves. He noticed one day that an Egyptian guard was mistreating one of the Israelites, and he killed him. Now, he wanted to serve God, but that's not what God had in mind. He killed him, and the Israelites were going to tell on him because of it. They were afraid of Moses, and so he had to take off, and he left. And now, as we pick up the story, he's been 40 years in the wilderness, keeping sheep, for his father-in-law. And so as we look at this, we need to realize, as we've said before, that everything we do has to center in and funnel into evangelism. We talked about that last week, leading people to Jesus Christ. The funnel starts here and comes down. Now, what's in the funnel? What is in the funnel? Well, it's, it's a lot of serving. It's a lot of ministry. It's not just about sharing your faith. That may be the harvest of it all, but a lot of other things go into it. And we're going to talk about those lots of other things this morning. Well, we want us to look at the calling to serve, the power to serve, the action to serve, and finally, uh, the results of it, the benefit of it. First of all, what about our calling? Let's look in chapter 1, of verse, uh, or chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Now Horeb is another name for Sinai. And so this was the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Now, this angel of the Lord was an appearance. It's believed by almost everyone. This was an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. This angel of the Lord, not just an angel, but angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, your, uh, I am the God 
of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I am surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the websites, the uh, Hivites, and the... No, that's parasites. I'm sorry, parasites. Parasites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression of with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, as we said, Moses has been shepherding for 40 years. Very humble guy by now. God was working in his life, but yet he was doing what he was called to do at that time. He took what he had and worked with that and did what he had to do with what he had to do with. He comes to Sinai, or Horeb, an angel Lord, the Lord appears to him with a message from God to go in and get his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Here we find a calling of Abraham, and when God calls, he sends out. We see this pattern all throughout the Bible. Remember Isaiah, when, uh, Isaiah 6, when he appeared before the throne of God, and God says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. And yet, Isaiah said, well, who's going to go before the people? He says, send me. He not only called him, but then he sent him. And Abraham, in his life, Genesis 12, God says, look, Abraham, I'm calling you to be the father of many nations. Now I'm sending you away from your home. I'm calling you, and yet, at the same time, I am sending you as well. Now, in the Old Testament, Old Testament's different. A different set of, of, of things going on, the Old and New Testament. In fact, just like last week, in just a few moments, I'm going to take you to a New Testament passage that's going to explain this a little bit better. But in the Old Testament, you had basically three offices that were anointed for the service of God. One was a priest. They represented uh, the people to God. You couldn't come to God on your own. In fact, they had a temple back then. And with a temple, they had a holy place where only the priests could go. Then the holy of holies on the inside of the holy place where only God was. And there was a veil, the Bible says, in the temple separating the holy of holies from the holy place. No one, the Ark of the Covenant was back there, so no one could go and touch the Ark. No one could come into the presence of God. They were not worthy. One priest, the high priest, one time a year could go beyond, be, behind the veil. And so we have the priests, then we have the prophets. They were the ones who represent, represented God to the people because they preached. Their primary, their primary objective was to proclaim the word of God. Then we had kings like David and Solomon. Certain people, a certain small group of people that did the service. Everybody else were really spectators in the Old Testament. They were just watching. They were not worthy to go beyond the, uh, beyond the veil. And so we, we find these three different things going on. In fact, in the Old Testament, we find a temple. In fact, most religions back then had some sort of tabernacle or temple. Why? Well, you need to make sacrifices. Why do you need to make sacrifices? Because you're, you're unworthy. Because of the sin in your life, you can't come before God in the Old Testament at all. Now, our burning bush is the cross. It's where God has called us and drawn us. 
And it was the cross represents the judgment of God, our sins being placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And the burning, the burning of the judgment, the judgment of God upon that cross. Well, we come to Jesus Christ by the cross. We humble ourselves. We say, God, I'm getting out of the saving business, you know. I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just not worthy. I'm not trying to work my way to heaven at all. I'm just trusting in the cross. And Jesus comes into our, our heart. The Spirit, the Bible says, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, there to guide our life. And we've already said in this series, as a Christ follower, God is doing a work in your life. The cross continues to do a work in your life, continues through the Holy Spirit by sanctifying you. That is to, to help, help you to grow in Christ on the inside. We said that following Christ is first and foremost an inside job. And that's what God is doing. He's, he's making Jesus Christ, you might say, alive in you all over again. He's con- you're, you're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But there's also a second thing, and that is service. God operates and grows us through service. I've had the privilege of going to the Holy Land a few times. And I remember taking one of my sons there, and uh, we... We uh, took a time, we just took the opportunity to go floating on the Dead Sea. Now, if you've ever been to the Dead Sea or ever heard of it, there's uh, rivers and tributaries and water going into the sea, nothing's coming out. And because of that, it's dead. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. Nothing can live there. Now, you go and there's, such, there's so many minerals in that water, you can actually float. You can't sink in the water. You just keep floating. And there's jagged, I mean, almost like crystals. Really, they're crystals under the water. And you have to be very careful because you could cut yourself very easily. They're razor sharp. And it's a, it's a wonderment, really, of, of a, it's a phenomenon, really, of the world. But yet, it's dead. There's nothing that can, can live there. Now, you perhaps are a, a believer and you come to church over and over again. In fact, you have podcasts, have your favorite preachers on those po- podcasts. Maybe you watch television, you have your favorite preachers on that. And you feed and feed and feed and feed and feed, but then you don't, you don't do anything with it. It, be, it becomes like the Dead Sea. There's nothing that's really going to live in it. Or you can take your health. Now, everyone knows that to be really healthy, you've got to eat right. And, uh, you know, it's hard for us as Americans to do that sometimes. But you have to eat right, but you also have to exercise. You could, you could eat right, eat right, eat right, but you never exercise and you're not going to be healthy. The Bible presents it in this way. God has called us in a different way. He says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race. One of my favorite verses to preach on. But you are a chosen race. Talking about the Christian people. The Christ followers, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what is significance of this is this. He's talking to an Old Testament audience, Peter, uh, primarily, the Jewish audience. And he's saying, look, back then you used to have a, a prophet, priest, and king. Let me tell you who you are as a Christian. As a believer in Christ, you are a priest. He says you are a royal priesthood. You're a priest of God. You don't need to go before a priest anymore and confess sins or make sacrifices at all. The veil of the temple, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
The Bible says God reached down with the fingers, the hand of God, and tore the veil of the temple in half. The Bible says Jesus died on the cross. Darkness was all over the land. Earthquakes were happening. The dead were being raised. And the Bible says Jesus, God, came down from heaven and tore the veil in half. What was the, what was the significance of that? He was symbolizing the fact that now we are worthy. Now we have access. You were no longer, you were not worthy in the Old Testament. But now because you have received Jesus Christ, you are worthy. You are worthy to, to appear before God. You are worthy to have fellowship with Him. You are worthy to have access to Him. You are worthy to have prayer, a prayer life with Him. And you are worthy to be a priest for Him. Representing the people to God. But also, it says here, we're a prophet. He says, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness, the darkness of sin, into his marvelous light. We're representing God to the people. We proclaim the word of God. And then the Bible calls us royal. And that is always standing for a king. And so here we find everything in the Old Testament that was just for a few is now for everyone. Everybody. It's for you. Say that. Say, it's for me. Say it again. Say it again. A little conviction. All right. A little better. And so we have this that everyone now is suddenly involved. And you say, well, what about the temple? What about the sacrifices? We are the temple of God. Our bodies now are the temple of God. And we house the Holy Spirit within us. And now we are making the sacrifices ourselves. So now, wait a minute, Pastor. I happen to know, because I'm a Bible scholar, that you don't have those sacrifices anymore. Oh, but yet, you have a different kind of sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 tells us this. I appeal to you. I urge you, therefore, Paul says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, Lord, here's my body. Here's my mind. We've already talked about that, but here's my body. Use my hands. He begins to go into the whole idea of spiritual gifts at this point in Romans chapter 12 and lists about eight or nine spiritual gifts that you might have. But he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, he says, we're all called. Every single one of us. It's not just the pastor. It's not just paid staff. It's everyone called to do some sort of ministry up here. And it funnels down to evangelism down here. You know, when Jesus sent out the 70 in Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, he said he sent out 70 people. I always wondered about that number. But the number 70 is the number for everyone. When the Gentiles nations are, are described, it's 70. It's everyone. Everyone is called. He says, I'm sending out the 70 because everyone is called. We have been made worthy to appear before God and we've been made worthy to proclaim his name and serve him. How do we serve him? He said, well, you know, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, salvation by the installment plan. You get it free, but then you pay for it the rest of your life. No, God, listen to me very carefully. And I, I don't want to get into any kind of heresy here on my part. And so I want to be very careful when I say this. But the only thing I can find in the Bible where we're serving God is when we worship. Every other time we serve God, we serve others. God is unselfish. He says, I want you to serve me by serving other people that will lead them to a, to a place of receiving Jesus Christ. 
into their heart. Now, how do we do that? So I don't know if I can do that. You know, it's just like Moses uh, later, if we had time to read this passage, he would come and say, God, I just don't think I can do that. I just don't speak well. I don't do this. What, where's the power going to come from? And he says in chapter four, verse one, and Moses answered, behold, they are not, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord God said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Now a staff to a shepherd was something they guided the sheep, something they fought off wolves with. It was their tool. It was their, their power and a little bit of their security, but certainly their tool to do what they had to do as a shepherd. Most valuable thing they had. He said, throw it down to the ground. And he threw it down to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. What's in your hand? Later it says, when he picked it up, it became a powerful tool. He told him again, pick up your staff. He reached down, picked it up, and it became, the snake became a staff again, only with the power of God. It's the same staff that he parted the Red Sea, that he struck a, a, a rock and water came from that rock. All kinds of miracles. God used that staff in Moses' life, when first he threw it down at the feet of God, and then God told him to pick it up again, and it became a powerful tool. What's in your hand? What kind of talent do you have? Maybe we can think about it for just a moment and think maybe, just maybe, God gave you that talent to not only serve yourself, serve your family, serve your fellow man as, as a as a the accountant, engineer, the teacher. But maybe it needs to occur to us that maybe we got that talent when we were born, that God would develop that into something to be used for his glory. That you can lay it down before the feet of Jesus and pick it up. And then what about spiritual gifts? As I mentioned a few moments ago, Romans 12 talks about it, but there's another passage as well. In fact, there's two other passages that really talk about spiritual gifts. I'm going to look at the shortest one uh, this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says he gave some apostles, missionaries, the prophets, that's preachers, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We have four or five different gifts listed here. There's another eight or nine in Romans. There's a, a bunch more in 1 Corinthians. Now, you may have the gift of, of being an apostle. That is a missionary. You may have the gift of preaching the word or teaching the Bible. You may have a gift perhaps in your life of mercy. Now that doesn't mean if you don't have the gift of mercy, you don't show any mercy. Just because you don't have the gift of leadership doesn't mean you don't lead something. You lead probably your family even if you don't have that gift. But you exercise these gifts and they fulfill you. They put a charge in your tank. It's something you want to do, something that turns turns the crank for you, you might say. What is it in the gifts that you have? What is it that God has placed in your life, your life as a spiritual gift? Now, spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to every Christian to use in service for him, for his glory. Now, you may use your spiritual gift in your, in your vocation. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you have it. You're probably going to use it in every place in your life, whether it's a family life or business life, but are you using it to further the kingdom of God? 
A spiritual gift is something everyone has at least one, unless you haven't used it. And God could, the Bible says God could take that away from you and give it to someone else. But everyone has at least one. What is it? Sometimes you have two, three, four, five. But everybody has at least one. What are those gifts? Wouldn't it be a tragic thing that you would go all through your life without ever knowing what that gift is? Or those gifts. Never able to develop it. Never able to see what you were really doing in your life. Because what happens with its preaching, service, giving, encouragement, leadership, administration, teaching, mercy, whatever it is, God, the Holy Spirit, takes those gifts and uses it for His extreme glory. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, the Bible says, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now, what, So what are the actions? What do I do? Well, notice here it says that we are to equip the work of the ministry. We're to equip the saints. This is discipling. This is teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus Christ. He says for the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's numerical. He's not going to repeat himself here. He's already said, uh, first and foremost, it's to equip the saints to result in the building up of the body of Christ that we would go out into the world and people would say, wow, look at how you're handling, uh, handling adversity. Look what you're doing with your life. Look, your life is really counting. You're making a difference for something. I want what you, what do you have? I want what you have. To be able to go out into the world and withstand the false doctrines that are often taught all throughout the culture. To withstand because you know the truth. To build up the body of Christ to being a mature, a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature individual. Diet, exercise together. How do you do that? Listen, we, we want to provide opportunities for you to serve. Now, I realize the reputation of churches sometimes is that, hey, we just got to have a, a, a job here. We, we've got a hole to fill. Well, sometimes that's true. But we emphasize as a staff and we remind ourselves all the time, look, we're not just trying to fill a hole. We're trying to disciple people. And without our, our people, our, you, understanding that you need a, a place of service, a place where you can exercise your spiritual gift, you're never going to mature in Christ. You're just never going to get there. So, so often somebody would say, well, you know, if we do this ministry, man, we're going to need to 10 more people. Good, let's do that then. We, we want to provide our job as ad ministers. We add to the ministry. As ad ministers, that's what it says here, to equip you for the work of the ministry, it's up to us to come up with the jobs. And in our atrium today, we have all kinds of things that you can do and all kinds of entry level as well as uh, more committed positions. And when I say more committed, it means one, one has maybe every week and some are once a month. And so all the jobs are important. There's not major jobs and minor jobs. There's just weekly jobs and semi-weekly jobs and monthly jobs. But we have a preschool table that's teaching people. We teach young children to love Jesus. The children's ministry. Teach them to know Jesus. You will find in every statistic, most of the people who are raised in church at least, come to know Christ during the elementary school years. And then the youth. They're asking questions. They're growing up. They're getting more and more independent. They want to know why. They want to know if this is really true. They want a mentor in their life. I know that one of my sons, Brandon, who's pastoring, in fact, in North Carolina, 
had a teacher here in our church go through from about eighth or ninth grade all the way through high school as it was a mentor to him. It made a difference in his life. And adults, we teach them to follow Jesus in their life. We, we need worshipers. You know, we're going to come back full-fledged in August, and we're going to pretty much look and say, this is, our, this is the new, new us. This is the people that we have. And up until then, we're going to need to build a choir. Choir and orchestra do a wonderful job, but we need that. And you say, well, I'm not even in that service. No, but you can, you can go sing in the choir and then go to your small group class and then come for the entire service here. Many people have done that. And then you have a greeter ministry. Folks, I can't express the, the importance of our first impressions type of ministry. Did you know people make a, their mind if they like a church or not in the first 10 minutes? Man, I only get a shot at them, you know. Chances are if they don't like it, they're not going to listen to me very much. There are some churches that really major on this so much that they want to create an atmosphere. Now, I mean, they have preaching too, but it may not be um, necessarily as deep, and they, they, they like that. And the worship may be either too loud or not loud enough. Depends on the crowd. But the major thing is, is what happens in the atrium, what happens in the parking lot, to create an atmosphere of love and acceptance. And even though that's not all there is, that's the first thing there is. And that's the first thing you come to. We, we need you out in the parking lot. We need you as an usher. We need you as a greeter. And this is not an every week ministry, but we need that. And you say, well, look, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so I don't know where to serve. Well, the only way you're going to find out what your spiritual gift is, is to serve. It's a trial and error process. I had no idea. The first time I got up to preach, in fact, the first two or three times I got up to preach, I had no idea I was going to be called to be a pastor or a preacher, or even if I liked it or not. All of a sudden, boom, by the fourth or fifth time, it just sort of happened. But I was doing a lot of other things as well. But it's not until I did that where it really clicked. And so it's a trial and error situation. You do, you do, and if it doesn't fit you, you do something else. What we're going to ask you to do is just get into the game today. Just get into the game. You know, somebody says, well, I don't don't know about it. Well, listen, listen. how many of you have heard of uh, Kendall Hinton? Anybody here? Okay, I had to look up his name. He was the guy, real popular guy. (laughs) Everybody knows him. Kendall, yeah. Everybody knows him. He was, if you remember this past season, uh, NFL, COVID uh, really killed off a lot of teams. And one of them, when I killed off, that's handicapped a lot of teams. You know, that's terrible. Let's bleep that out. Cut that out somehow, some way. Um, But anyway, the Denver Broncos had three quarterbacks on their roster, and all of them had to go into quarantine for COVID. So they took a wide receiver, Kendall Hinton, and made him the quarterback for the week. He practiced all week at quarterback and played quarterback. Now, he could have said, look, that's not my gift. You know, I'm a wide receiver. You know, I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to fail in any way. No, he was a team guy, and he wanted to get into the game, and he played quarterback and did a pretty good job. What's your gift? Well, I know what my gift is. It's uh, administration. It's not me, but I'm just saying you. It's administration. So what do you do? You, you know, this little old lady, um, senior adult, um, senior saint, um, 
falls on the steps. And you come up to her and say, wow, you, that's really bad. But you know, I don't have the gift of helps. Just don't have that. Uh, but I do, I, I do have the gift of administration. And so, hey, do we have anybody here with the gift of helps? How about the gift of mercy? You know, kind of listen to the, you know, what's going on. No, you wouldn't do that. You would, you would pick up the lady. Because, you do, because you're a loving Christian, you do what you need to do at the time. Uh, one lady told me a story after church, the first hour, true story. She said before she came to this church, I think that she said they visited one time and, and were just kind of visiting around. And they were going down the road of Loma Avenue and their car uh, caught on fire. And she pulled off the side of the road. Car was on fire. She said this lady from Cross Life Church stopped. She wearing her T-shirt, in fact, and said, how could she help? She said, other people stopped later, but she's the one that took her kids and watched them when all this was going on. And they were so impressed, they said, we're going back to that church. And they're, they're joined today, and their husband's going to be a deacon. Because someone reached out and did, and you said, well, you know, my, she, I work in the preschool ministry. She did. I work in the preschool ministry, and you're obviously not a preschooler, so I can't help you. No, she did what she had to do. One last story, I'm going to close, all right? Um, Richard Rising was here a few years ago and helped us out with a little, uh, um, kind of evaluating our church, probably about 15 years ago. And he wrote a book about, uh, about all uh, his work. And the, f- the first chapter of the book tells a story about a guy getting involved in baseball. So suppose it's you. Suppose you just took a new job and you're working there in your cubicle and you don't know anybody. All right, you're new in town, don't nobody. Guy comes up to you and says, uh, I got a couple of tickets to the baseball game. Would you like to go? And he says, sure. Now you say, oh, I hate baseball. I don't even like baseball. I played baseball when I was little. I don't really follow it. Don't even know anything about the team in this particular town. But I'll go because I need to get to know some people. And so you go. And you're not even paying attention. You're looking around the crowd, you know, thinking about, hey, I need a Coke or a hot dog. And, and uh, all of a sudden, crack. You hear the crack of the bat. And you look up, and everybody's standing up. So you do, too. You stand up, and you see this ball fly over the left center field fence. I mean, a long way over the fence. And everybody's going wild. Your team now is winning. And all of a sudden, with the crack of the bat, you're sucked in. And you turn to your friend and say, you know, let me buy the tickets tomorrow night. Let's go back. Let's come back. And there you are sitting way up in the upper deck, you know, and you start going a little bit more often, a little bit more often. And pretty soon some other people at work are joining you and you're sitting there watching the game, having just a great time way up in the upper deck. But you look down one day and you notice there's some people right behind the dugout on the lower deck and they've got those foam fingers, you know, you know what I'm saying? They're all made up with their outfits on. You think, man, they look, they're the ones that look like they're having a great time. Wow, what do you do to, to get seats down there? And your friend says, oh, you've got to buy season tickets. So well, let's do that. How many games? 81. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> so you buy the season tickets. And the next year you're sitting right behind the dugout. And the next year you're sitting right behind the dugout. And pretty soon all your, uh, your cubicle is just filled up with baseball paraphernalia. Your, your team, favorite teams, your autograph, your autograph baseball, the one you caught maybe is a foul ball. And then somebody comes up to you and says, uh, from work and says, hey, uh, I heard you're interested in baseball. He said, yeah, love the game, love the game. So we're, we are putting together a softball team, and we need a right fielder. 
And you think, wow, actually get on the field, actually play the game. Well, that might be embarrassing. I might not be the best player on the team. But, you know, you want to fit in and you want to, you're inspired. I mean, you, you watch this every night. You'd love to get out there again. Like you maybe a little kid in a little league. But so you, you join the team, you play right field, and you love it. Part of a team. You're on the field. Now, Rising would say the person that's invited to the ball game is like a person invited to church. First, they sort of sit at afar, whether it's up close or far away, they're in the upper deck. And they think, oh, no, I want to become a fan. And many of you here are big fans. And without you, we couldn't do what we're doing, probably, in some way. You're big fans. Man, you've you got the Cross Life t-shirt, you know, and all that. But what we're inviting you to do today is get involved in the game. To actually participate on the team. And we have all these things in the atrium to choose from. We're not asking you necessarily to sign up today. What we're doing, asking you to do is sign up to say, I'm interested in that particular one. Would, some, would, would the staff member call me about that? And so you got three or four choices and you listen to um, the job descriptions and what's going on maybe during the week and the next couple of weeks as they call you. And then you decide, okay, I think I'll start here. We're asking you to get involved in the game. Can you imagine being in a family, living in a home where you don't have any responsibilities? Can you imagine being in a church that's really trying to reach the world for Jesus Christ, equip to send out, call to equip to send out? And at the end of the day, you don't know what your gift is and you don't, you don't see how you were ever involved in that. You can be involved in the harvest that funneling that comes down. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you in just a moment just to stand up and go out into the atrium all together and just go to the tables and see what's there. Now, if you want to sign up for VBS, their Vacation Bible School, there's a table out there. And if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, there's a table here and a table here on the next steps, Okay. And you can go to those tables and find out more about Jesus. I invite you to do that. There's offering uh, things at the end of uh, uh, your, your pews here, going down in the uh, vomitories. We ask you to drop off your offering or your welcome card as a visitor to our church. But here's what I want you to do. Without another song, I just want you to stand up right now. In fact, let's just do that right now. We all stand up. Lunch will wait just a few moments. Just all stand up. And now, let's dismiss as a group, as a force, and going right out into the atrium. Let's leave right now, okay? God bless you as you go. I'll be praying for you, and you would pick out the right ministries that fit you. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.